This podcast is a member of the Voices of Wrestling podcasting network. Visit VoicesOfWrestling.com to hear the rest of our great podcasts, as well as show reviews, columns, opinions, and updates across the world of wrestling. This is Everything Elite, the world's best podcast devoted exclusively to all elite wrestling and the elite extended universe. I'm Aaron Bentley, and I am joined, as always, by my good friend, Mike Spears. What's up, Mike? Hey, y'all. It's your old pal, Iron Mike Spears. I'm doing pretty well. We were talking in the pre-show about the big news to come down to South Beach today about the uh, living god, Ed Reed, coming back home to the University of Miami Hurricanes, the new chief of staff. So that put me in a good mood today. I'm feeling pretty good today. How are you, AB? Doing good. Uh, been working up until we started recording. So, you know, you hate to do that. You like to uh, quit work at about 4.30 if you can. It's really my, my usual plan if I can uh, make it happen, but it rarely happens. So another man who works hard for his money, it's Nate, a.k.a. Opitasis. What's up, Nate? <laughs> Yeah, very little uh, work being done by me today. Just a real, real slack off day at the office. Um, but yeah, you know, I was just reflecting on how it's kind of just sad the uh, how much of a good mood the WWE news put me in today. Of course, they fired their two co-presidents and it caused the stock price to plummet. And it really, I would have to liken it to uh, when I went to see Deadpool 2 and Scalia died. Uh, just put a smile on my face for the rest of the day to see the failing WWE continue to fail. Um, and so, yeah, you know, that hand in hand with uh, Ed Reed going back to the U, just uh, just a good day to slack off and post all day. Yeah, it turns out we would have been better off if Scalia lived, bizarrely. But, you know, what are you going to do? It's still fun to celebrate an awful person's death. Couldn't Couldn't have known that at the time. No, no, we could not have. We have a lot to talk about this week. You probably know that if you've been following us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, yeah, that's Fuji with two eyes, like Don Fuji. Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. You can find it by searching Everything Elite on the podcast app of your choice or looking for the Voices of Wrestling Podcasting Network. If you're on the Apple Podcast app, give us a rating and a review, please. Here's what we're going to talk about. We're going to play Elite or Delete. We're going to run down Dynamite, talk ratings, of course. That, speaking of something that makes me happy, I was really thinking about this today, and maybe when we talk about ratings, I'll... No, I'm just going to say it now. We take for granted how nice it is that NXT just gets destroyed every week by another wrestling product. It's a lot of fun. It just makes me happy to look at the Showbuzz Daily sheet, and it's like any other wrestling, third... NXT 37th or whatever the fuck it is. Like, it's uh, just delightful. Here's a question. Okay. Is NXT on, on you know, the wrestling buzzometer, is NXT above or below Ring of Honor at this point? Below. I think Ring of Honor with the whole Marty Squirrel and doing stuff with NWA, reestablishing relations with New Japan. I think NXT is below that. Like, y'all could tell me anything that has happened on NXT over the last four months, and I believe you. Like, I just don't keep track of it. I don't care. Whereas at Ring of Honor, I hear stuff. I'm like, okay, that's interesting. 
So yeah, I think Ring of Honor is higher than NXT. What about you, AB? I probably would have said the other option, except for the new Marty Scurll news. I think that has has pushed it back up in the zeitgeist for sure. But answer me this, either of you. Who is the NXT champion? Adam Cole? Yeah, I said Adam Cole. I believe that. I did. I learned over the past <laughs> week that I think Keith Lee is the North American champion. Is he? Right. Okay. NXT. I think that's right. Uh, Rhea Ripley, I think, is the women's champion. Yes, and I think they're gearing up to do her versus Charlotte at WrestleMania. Uh, oh, that's going to be on WrestleMania. Yeah. Oh, I, I, I was reading that in the Observer, and I just assumed he meant they were going to put it on NXT. Just like, wow, that's really quite a program. Well, you know, adding adding Charlotte to NXT for the build to that, I suppose, is maybe mm-hmm. the idea. Okay, that makes sense. We got some other talent notes to talk about. It's going to include one William Osprey. He's going to be mentioned at the end of this podcast. And some interesting news about AEW's pay-per-view business. Before we get into that, I want to tell you about our Patreon. Patreon.com slash Everything Elite. We got three tiers, $3, $5, $8. They're all a lot of fun. This week, on Monday, we dropped Case Low and my hmm, And I always struggle with that. What's the grammar there? Case, case low and mine and case lows. Yeah, but mine you're not supposed to say yourself low. first, right? So I don't know. Somebody who case in my somebody who cares about the elitist. I mean, I was a uh, that is professional grammar. professional copy editor at one point or another. Uh, mm. Shout out to Dion Sacconi Frazier, but um, <laughs> I'm not positive about that one. I, you know, mine and case lows sounds correct to right. me, but I don't know. You know, often what sounds correct to you is not necessarily what is correct. Right. Well, Case and I discussed the Young Bucks at length. This is the Young Bucks. It's honestly, it's really good. I think I said that on another. I think it was I said that on light, but it's true. It's really good. And that is largely to do with the fact that Case Low knows basically everything about every Young Bucks match that's ever happened. He has uh, a, a complete uh, almost pathological understanding of the Young Bucks career. So I highly suggest that everyone check it out. Uh, we also did Light this week. And on, on Wednesday, we dropped Mike's discussion with Brian Quinby from Street Fight, uh, the wrestling small business tyrants episode about Mike Quackenbush. We dropped that down to the $3 tier. So you can jump in now and hear that for only $3. Do want to do one uh, PSA, I think. we didn't. I didn't put this in the brunch sheet, but of course I never think to do these things. Uh, the upcoming month of February, of course, your Patreon is billed at the beginning of the month. So if you want to be a subscriber for February, then, you know, you can wait a couple days here. Uh, you know, if you're listening to this on Saturday and you don't have to wait at all um, to, but if you want to start your subscription to that period with the pay-per-view being on February 29th and it being a short month, uh, we just want to be clear that if you subscribe for February, we're probably not going to record the pay-per-view reaction show until late in the evening on the 29th. So there's a very good chance the subscription will have rolled over into March before any of you guys get the chance to hear it. So just be aware that that's probably not going to hit your feeds until, uh, you know, the March subscription period comes around. If that, you know, weighs into your budgeting or whatever. We're going to get up as quickly as we can, but it's just time being what it is. It's, I'd say it's almost impossible that we'll be able to get it up before midnight, to be honest. So, yeah, I think we got the uh, full gear one up at like 1.30 in the morning, and then I had a 5 a.m. plane flight that next day. Yeah. But so yeah, probably aim for March one. We understand. Like if you're if you're trying to subscribe just for that, probably want to hold off till March first. But if 
not that, we've got a lot of really fun stuff coming your way for the month of February. Yeah, Monday, I don't know what we're going to call this show yet, but I had a very fun conversation with uh, Wiccafe's Springs Eternal. I didn't know if I was going to shoot name him there or not, but I'll just go with his uh, gimmick name. So uh, Wicca and I had a interesting conversation. Basically, he was telling me about what he's really been liking about AEW, the stuff he doesn't like about AEW. Uh, there was one thing that he mentioned that I, I really looked out for explicitly on this episode. And so once you hear that, you'll, you'll kind of hear what some of his uh, concerns were. And we talked about just the guys that he likes, which is interesting because it's just like the three of us usually talking. I know what you all like, what your tastes are. I kind of see the same people's tweets every week. So it's fun to hear somebody else talk about what they've been enjoying and not enjoying. Uh, of course, next week we'll also have AW Light. Mike and I will be back with that to get you ready for Dynamite on Wednesday night. That's patreon.com slash everything elite. All right, time to get into this show. We're going to start out, of course, with Elite or Delete. Nate, kick us off, buddy. What do you got? My Elite pick for this week, the resurgent, rehabilitated Dr. Britt Baker, DMD, coming out of the gates with a hot, fiery Ooh. heel promo on this television show. Got over huge. Buried JR. Got big reactions from the crowd. Twitter was lighting up about how she's actually good now. Um, you know, I was a little, I was a little coward last week. I, I wanted to step out in defense of her promo from the boat show. I didn't really do it. I said that there were things about it I liked, but I was pretty much bullied into submission and and convinced <laughs> not to say that I actually enjoyed it. But I think she came out this week and uh, proved that it is a fun character. I think maybe. She was just a little too gassed after the match on the boat, so she wasn't in full character mode when she was doing that segment with Tony Schiavone. This week, she just felt more sincere. She felt way more confident. Um, you know, it, it felt like those heel lines just felt a little more authentic coming from her and less fabricated. Uh, so I really enjoyed it, and I think uh, you know the crowd is going to be considerably more invested in her and having people beat her at this point. Or, you know, building somebody up to beat her since she is going to, I think, remain somewhat toward the top of the division. Now that she has like a uh, a character more befitting the way they've sort of, sort of sold this dentist stuff. Yeah, I think the big change in her this week was the delivery of her lines. Or, or delivery of the commentary, say, lines as if this is a firmly restricted product, which it's not. Uh, I, I could buy the idea that on the boat, she was either uh, gassed or intimidated, but she frankly kind of sounded like she was a little bit like monotone and somewhat uh zanned out and this week like it, it definitely seemed like if it's either her getting more confidence or go or just getting better inflection and not having to cut a promo after a match she seemed a lot more with it i'm still someone that i don't think that i'm ever going to be a huge Britt baker fan but i feel like that this definitely was miles more interesting than anything else she's done so far in the promotion. Two just absolute naked appeals for Irish citizenship <laughs> from my from my co-host here. Just embarrassing. <laughs> uh, so obviously this was better done than the one she did last week. It was completely competent. Absolutely. She what they were trying to accomplish, she did. So congratulations on that. Unfortunately, it's just not very interesting to me in any any real way. It's like the work shoot stuff. 
it's like Cody has enough goodwill with me that I can kind of like, you know, grin at it when Cody does it. But generally, I just I don't like that. I don't enjoy it. Uh, so I, it really didn't. It's just we all know the deal. So it's not actually that exciting anymore when I'm 33 to hear like a work shoot comment. It's not like when I was 16 and I thought, oh, shit, you know, whoever is uh, Scott Hall is actually going at whoever here. Right. I think I don't think it's quite accurate to call it work to shoot. It's not like she's going out there and being like, hey, Booker man, or like, um, you know, uh, uh, referring to being scripted to win or lose or something along those levels. It's just taking stuff that's real and exists in the real world and incorporating it into the work. And I think that there's a there's a fine line there, but I think there's a delineation between work shoot and just doing what professional wrestling should do and incorporating and, and having it interact with the real world and not acting like it's just a big stage play. So I think it's fine that she is doing things like that. And I think you know people do that throughout the promotion, like even in, in the most cartoony stage play stuff on the show, like the dark order, they take the guy's bad punches and just incorporate it into the work. So I think that's going to be part of the MO for the promotion. Yeah. I just, I don't know. There's something about the dark order thing that I enjoyed and that you take a bad thing and, and turn it into something good. But usually with these kind of promos where you talk about something that I don't know, it's just, I mean, I do think of it as a work shoot. Maybe, I mean, it's, completely possible i'm using the terminology uh incorrectly or like you know walking the line here but i just always kind of gives me a little cringe anytime it's uh, cody brandy or uh in this situation with Britt baker but anyway it's uh you know it's good for for us to have differing differing views on on things on the show it'd be boring otherwise sure i'm not gonna disagree with that no wait i you're i should disagree with that no, we should agree all the time, Aaron. What the fuck? <laughs> Mike, you got something I can disagree with, buddy? I, you actually might disagree with this. Uh, my elite pick of the week was the tag team opener of the Young Bucks versus the Butcher and the Blade. I love this match. I'm a big fan of a tag team sprint, and I felt like this match was kind of the best performance of Butcher and the Blade so far in the company. I felt like that this was really kind of like like setting up that like okay the the bucks were rolling with it until the bunny got involved and then that kind of got them down in the standstill and they got work to the finish this was a really solid tag match i think that this is a better portrayal in ring of the butcher of the blade than what was going on with like the qt marshall and cody match and then even the cody darby match which i thought was pretty good i like this one more than that and i just thought that this was like a good way to open the show i feel like that the bucks in these openers have consistently put on some really strong stuff especially in comparison to some of the slower paced stuff that they do later in the show so yeah i really dug this match i thought that was kind of them then immediately going after and having the beatdown save with page and omega setting up stuff and i felt like that this was like a great way to start a show that felt like in a lot of ways wasn't a bad show it just was very kind of sleepy so I dug this a whole lot. This kept my attention in comparison to a lot of stuff that went on in the show this week. No, actually, I thought this was a good match. I enjoyed the match. My my complaint is that the Butcher and the Blade are geeks. And there's just, I'm not interested in, it's not exciting to watch the Young Bucks beat them because they just feel like nobodies. And I wish they would have built them up a little bit before they had a team like the Bucks beat them. Instead, well, so Kara uh, 
at Caranza on Twitter and I went back and forth. She was saying they're like the Ascension. And I was like, yeah, well, she said the main roster Ascension. I'm like, yeah, exactly. If they were the NXT Ascension and you built them up and then you beat them like a drum, like the main roster, that'd be fine. But they just come across as geeks at this point. I think I'm just fine with them being geeks. Uh, you know, enjoy this. Again, the Young Bucks are great TV wrestlers. Um, and, the, you know, they're the Ascension, but like not cringe like just like with a better coat of paint on them. So I'm fine with that. They're they're playing a role in this promotion right now of literally hired hands for MJF. They're, so you have to position them like below MJF even on the totem pole. So, you know, the world we, needs ditch diggers. Yeah, and I mean, they really are given they're now, to my count, off the top of my head, one and two in the promotion and tag matches have not beat a set team i believe unless there's something happened on dark thumb blanking on which is entirely possible but it's just you know they're they're goons and this is a promotion that kind of has like their units and mini units or pseudo units and as they said you need to have ditch stickers you need to have some goons around and i think that at least in a tag team context these are a fun bunch of goons you know of all the creepy perverts they're my favorite creepy perverts so far my view is just that when you're starting a brand new promotion, it's best to think of everyone as a potential star until proven otherwise. And so when you bring these guys out, they've got a great look. The audience is not familiar with them. You have the ability to kind of test them out. I, I completely understand that they're hired hands. They got to be in a, a certain place and you don't have to have them go beat everybody to find out if they're stars. But you might try something a little different with these guys to test them out with the audience and see what the reaction is before you just completely, I mean, it's not losing to the young bucks. It's having DDP beat them down, you know, and it's having whoever it was the time before that. It's just that kind of bullshit when you've completely now to build these guys back up would be a real uh, struggle where you could have not put them in this position to begin with. That's just kind of my thought generally about a new promotion. Yeah, I just think even in a new promotion, or maybe even especially in a new promotion, you need guys to eat a lot of losses because you need to establish the guys who are going to be on top and as your stars. So if you if you're going to have Moxley and Jericho and the Young Bucks and the Elite and etc. Pack have these people establish the stars by putting wins on their roster or on their record, then you have to have people that you also be like a drum all the time. Yeah, I mean, Sammy Guevara only had his first win at the end of uh, 2019. And him being a lost post doesn't really hurt him. And I think for where Butcher and Blade are slotted right now, that's fine. Like, they need to have a heel team that could take losses. And is it something that might hurt them in their development in a different way? Like, Sammy Guevara is going to be fine. Like, he's young. It he, he gets the shine by osmosis by being next to Chris Jericho all the time. Maybe. Like, I think that's legitimate case that this is something that like permanently notches them there so it's interesting like it, i don't know how it's going to be like after this whole njf thing is going to go over but you might be entirely right ab about this might have slotted them permanently somewhere where they can't get elevated out of you can rehab almost anybody i think you do an angle in however many months time where the butcher and the blade turns on mjf like no we won't take your money and they become big baby faces for spitting on the you know, hated heel. And then you give them one win and then the fans are behind them. Like, I think it's, you know, relatively easily done. Uh, I think the most elite thing about this match, in my opinion, was the post-match and Adam Hangman page. 
Any yeah. thoughts on that? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, sorry. Uh, he caught me in a drink of uh, mango bubbly at that moment. Uh, yeah, no, I mean, he's kind of become a walking meme and the representative of the millennial mindset in 2020. Him showing up, doing literally hold my beer, doing a buckshot Larry and leaving owns. Like he's he's getting over. Like this guy who was pretty much dead in the water four months ago now has potential to be the star that they thought that they were positioning for, at least on the outset. Yeah, that that little spot in particular was just like, oh, that's a badass star moment right there. Hand the beer off, nail the guy, get your beer on the exit. Just great little moment. It takes a you know creative person to, to come up with that and put it in context here, and uh, I thought they executed it perfectly. Well, it plays into my elite pick, and I feel like I have to do this because my delete last week was basically the entire show because nothing happened. And I see some takes, I've seen some takes out there that nothing happened on this show. And that perplexes me. It confounds me in like really difficult ways because this was the first show where we really started seeing the the threads of the stories that are going to take us from here to revolution. So yes, Mox and Jericho has been going on, but we got the first real beat that that builds a real story on this show. And because before all we knew was Jericho wanted Moxley to be in the inner circle and Moxley said no, which we all knew was going to happen. But why did Moxley want to fight Jericho before Jericho put the fucking spike in his eye, right? But we see Mox giving us his real motivations here because it's completely believable that Moxley does not like Jericho because he's a bully and a coward. Those are two things that Mox could get by with being, with thinking, this guy's a bully and I want to fight him because of it, period. And so we started to see that to where they can really lay that as a foundation and build on that rather than the kind of the silliness of the the whole inner circle thing. So I like that. And you see the Adam Page, Young Bucks, elite stuff generally get some more interesting threads. It's starting to, we're getting close enough to revolution that we can really start building on things. And we see Adam Page proving that I was right all along about the Dark Order thing, which is going to rear its head again. And uh, Page playing into how the Young Bucks look at him versus versus what he really does. And uh, this was a great way to start that. So that's my elite pick. We're starting to build to revolution, some real stories. And uh, a lot happened on this show. Dummies. (laughs) Like, I I know I said the show was kind of sleepy, but you're absolutely right. Like... We, we definitely shifted uh, gears, which I feel like is kind of a trite thing to say, given the last pay-per-view was full gear. But it was as if, like, there were, there's going to be, what, like 14 weeks between full gear and revolution or thereabout. It's going to be just over, like, three and a half months. And everything now has been a lead-up to this. And now Mox and Jericho has gone away of why did Moxley, other than the title, really not want to be in our circle? He thinks Jericho's a disgusting person. So, like, you have that beat. The whole tag team title scene is real interesting because you see, you have the Bucks starting to get their groove back this week, and then now they're teaming with their angle partner or their should-be uh, unit partners, but then you have the whole thing with Paige, who doesn't think he's a member of the lead anymore, but everyone else still insists that he is. And then, of course, you also have, like, Cody versus MJF, which just was kind of a bit of a, a down night for Cody and MJF, but they've done so much in recent weeks to build it up. That's fine. So we're really starting. Like I know they've made this into like a big tour for this, but 
even for like kind of a sleepy show where it does feel like that there was just not a whole lot going on. There were these definite beats and definitely felt like we are now firmly on the revolution tour. And I thought that that's a salient point. Let's bury some shit, Nate. What you got? What, what should we delete from this episode? Um, so I guess I want to, my real criticism of the show is that it was kind of an echo of last week's show. It was kind of sleepy. There was not, they certainly were setting things up in all the feuds, every segment, you know, advanced some sort of plot or storyline. I just didn't get the, nothing really fired me up outside of like Adam Page being a superstar or whatever. There was nothing that really grabbed me and pulled me into a particular segment. So I'm just going to pick the segment that probably most needed to do that. That was the opening segment with John Moxley and his promo where he laid all this out. Just seemed like a pretty boilerplate plate reason, justification story for this feud. Like now that he's been stabbed in the eye by the guy and has to wear a weird blindfold for the foreseeable future. Like now he's like, I don't like bullies. Um, I don't know. Doesn't, uh, I guess that's fine. I just, you know, nothing, nothing there for me to sink my teeth into no real vigor or verve to the promo or real original content or, uh, inspired swing at something that makes me want to like latch onto it and be like, Oh yeah, that's fun. Uh, and then just like they did a sort of goofy brawl where he, was like, oh, I have the power of all the fans behind me, so I'm going to take on 15 guys. Just kind of a, you know, that, that's like your big feud, your big world title feud, and I just that segment didn't land for me. It didn't didn't grab me really. Yeah, I could see how that could be frustrating. Like I, I, it is something that almost saying like, oh, I hate bullies. I think you're kind of like a user can be a little bit of an elementary way of building up this feud, and I could see how that could be a little bit. Thing, and then like him going like oh i'm gonna go fight these people like and then go 10 on one and still try to fight i i, I can see how that's frustrating like i like it worked for me because i feel like mox has kind of defined himself as someone willing to go one on five before and he's still frustrated enough then he's able to equalize it by the end of the show but i totally get how that segment didn't give you enough to seek your teeth into no it was good actually <laughs> that's my take it was good I've already done the take, so no point in me doing it again. All right, Mike, I'm going to set you up here, buddy. Okay. I know what you want to talk about, so I'm going to do my delete pick and just hand it to you on a platter to knock it out, okay? There you go, yeah. Mix some metaphors, and we're just going to get fucking going here. All right, here's what I want to delete. The entire Kip Sabian versus Cody segment, match, everything that had to do with it fucking sucked. Here's why. It didn't help anyone. Everyone in it was served poorly. Everyone in it came out worse than they went into it. Kip Sabian, start with him. The guy ruins everything he touches. <laughs> what? I mean, seriously. No. Look at, look at everything else Adam Page has done in this promotion. The only thing that's failed was that build with Jericho. And the last thing they did before that match was the 19-minute Kip Sabian match where he was supposed to go 50-50 with this guy who nobody knows and nobody cares about. And, you know, one of the problems, I think, is he has no clue, which he's a young guy, but he has no clue who he is. And the promotion doesn't seem to have a clue of who he is either. Like, he's supposed to be this hot guy with the hot girlfriend, but then he also is, like, a nerd, right? Like, 
I don't know where the super bad thing comes from. I'm not sure if he's old enough to have actually seen the movie, if it's based off of that. But his finishing move is like a Harry Potter term. It's like, okay, hot guy with hot girlfriend probably doesn't have like Harry Potter finishing move, I don't think. Uh, so, you know, what does Kip Sabian gain here? Nothing. I mean, the whole story with the head coach thing and he gets thrown out, which I know Mike is going to talk about, but then he still can't get it done, right? So Sabian gains nothing. Janela, poor Joey Janela. This leads me to believe that it must be that only Joey Janela understands Joey Janela. Only he can book himself. No one else understands what he brings to the table. So they put him in this goofy shit that he does admirably, but he can't make anything out of it. He's stuck with Kip Sabian, who ruins everything he touches, and there's just nothing compelling for him to do. And that plays into why Cody was so bad here. It's because there's this thin line between like WWE booking and the overbooked kind of fun shit that, that Dusty booked or like Southern style booking, a real thin line. And Cody knows better. I mean, this Joey stuff reminds me of when I did the This Is Cody episode with Rich Krejci and we're talking about he's got this feud with Big Show where they're like coming out and, and standing up at the top of the ramp and doing dumb shit, you know, just classic WWE distraction stuff. And that's basically what they're doing uh, to Joey Janela here. But it's like with Cody... I don't even know how you could help him. I don't know what he wants. I don't know what he's doing. So he, he's, people talk about Tony Khan, but Cody's the one who sold this whole deal about this was going to be a sports-based promotion. And one of the first things he does is come in and takes himself out of the championship picture. What's the point of wrestling if not to win championships? From his perspective, from the wrestler's perspective, what's the point? And he didn't, you could do that and then say, well, I'm going to make myself a tag guy. I'm going to mentor a guy into being a tag champion or a woman into being a, a world champion. But he didn't do any of that. So now he's, he's off on this thing to get revenge at MJF, which makes sense to me. But after he does that, where does Cody go? And this didn't help us. I mean, Kip Sabian, he couldn't beat, took him 11 or 12 minutes to beat fucking Kip Sabian. So I think Cody has, I think he's, lost his vision of what he wants out of this promotion and, and who he is inside this promotion because he wants this sports-based thing. He's got a fucking head coach that Mike's going to talk about, but then he wants to play with these dumb, like WWE tropes. I think his brain is, is, is still warped from that somewhat that he just can't get out of it. And he can't meld what he learned in new Japan, what he learned in ring of honor, what he learned on the indies uh, with what he had then and what his dad did. I think he's so fucking confused with all this shit that this is what it spits out. And I've defended Cody more than anybody probably on the face of the planet, except like, uh, well, I can't think of that person's name, so I won't bury them on the on the podcast. But I just think the championship thing, which I've bitched about a lot, this segment, I just don't know what Cody's doing, and it's, it's becoming hard to... Uh, this was hard to watch. This was awful. Yeah, I thought it was fine. I think um, I, I don't disagree about Kip. Like, I think Kip has a ways to go in terms of finding his character. I think the pairing with Penelope is an improvement because at least it gives them like a concrete act to latch on to. Like, our act is the guy and his hot girlfriend and she cheats and they do too much PDA. Uh, 
And th- that's like a concrete established sort of thing that they can be like, okay, now let's refine this and, and, and take it in our own direction or whatever. Um, so that, that would be my down point from here, but the Joey participation in this segment was improved than it's been in the previous parts of this feud. Um, and I think the Cody stuff with MJF has all been like established and segmented out pretty well and continues to escalate to the meat of that feud. And this is just like a holdover thing for one week while we get there. So I, you know, I, I can't co-sign your grand proclamations about Cody's mental state, but, but what uh, comes next, Nate? He, so he gets his revenge on MJF and then where does Cody go? And why should I care where he goes? That's for him to tell me. I mean, you know, I, they have to come up with something else for them to do, but you always have to come up with some, something for the next person to do. There's usually only a handful of people involved in title picture, so they have to find something else for them to do. I'm not going to worry about it until we get there. Like, if they don't deliver then, then they didn't deliver. But, you know, he's in a well-established storyline at this point. So, But he's got nowhere to go from there. Once he beats MJF, his his journey in this promotion is over. I don't have a, <laughs> I mean, it's something that you, you can tell other stories. I don't, uh, that doesn't, I mean, I, I, you know, you're not wrong with it. If we're going to pretend that it's a sport and, you know, you have, uh, you know, there's a limited, uh, number of goals, I guess you could have in a sport where it's like every team's trying to win the championship, but, you know, you have 28 teams in the NBA that aren't going to win a championship and they all have <laughs> full 82 games that they play. You know, you have promotions without champions in them. Um, well, I guess beyond is adding a champion or something now, but you, they just have to find another story to tell. I don't, you know, he's he's going to go through Dusty's notebooks and come up with 15 other feuds that Dusty had in the territories. And it's going to be, you know, a callback to some other blood feud or a callback to some other little, uh, you know, holdover feud that Dusty had, and then he's gonna make uh, make a stake out of it. I'm not really worried about it. I think he's gonna do like Midnight Rider after this. Like I could see that being the the way to get him booked back into the title picture long term. I mean, I think he can come back to the title picture in like, you know, three or four years, and then the fans will be like hungry for it, and it'll be mm-hmm. hot. No, that's fair. Uh, it, it's something with Kip Sabian. That just to get touch back on that, that on Dark and on Road to Cleveland, they had a plan of saying like, oh, everyone should look out for me. Cody should be more worried about me with this. So he had like all this motivation coming to this match. And I feel like that each time Kip Sabian like says people should be afraid of me, people should be afraid of me. What does he do? He doesn't do anything to like raise stakes. And no wonder like this is where he's kind of slotted where probably if it wasn't for Penelope, he'd probably be the most like, I don't know, boring act on the promotion. I mean, he still kind of is boring with Penelope Ford. Like the whole conceit about this, like Penelope, Joey and Kip Sabian feud is that uh, Penelope was the one is the active participant in this feud because it's, she's the link between Kip and Joey. So it's just like you could plug and play there and you probably would have someone that wouldn't have boring as hell matches. So (laughs) I guess that's a frustrating thing, but is it time for me to really get into what I was going to get into? Like I, 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 I've been laying this ruminate for the last 24 hours because I'm one and it's usually Nate and I who man the Twitter account during the show. And I have never seen such 
a response to a tweet where later talking to people, they're like, no, 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 you're right. But Arn Anderson in this promotion over most of this month, literally up until last night, he was one of the most defined characters. He was had a definite role there. He was contributing. And it was a way that, in a lot of ways, who was the last truly great face manager? Like, you have to really, like, start, like, scratching your head if it's, like, maybe Julia Smokes in Ring of Honor, <laughs> maybe. Like, I'm trying to think of, like, face, like big-time face managers. Dewey Donovan of Nick Gage, maybe, a little bit. But that's, he's gone away from that. But the big thing about Arn Anderson and Cody's matches over the last month has been he's the head coach. They even made a big deal out of the fact that his dopey play card that he has was the scouting report on each guy. And that like he was there and like he was the one that was always smarter and has an eye out for Cody. Like during the Derby match when Derby undid the turnbuckle, he said, Cody, turnbuckle, Cody, turnbuckle. And it played into the finish because Arn was there pointing out things. He basically plays the eyes in the back of Cody's head. When the whole thing of MJF went down, he said, we're not going to immediately give a response. We're going to think this through because MJF wants us to be acting on emotion. He wants an immediate response and playing into his hand here. Then this match turned into such fucking hijinks where Arn was jumping to the ring, arm bounced butt bellies with a Bryce Rimsburg and Arn get tossed out and Arn was just like flustrated and things like this, which is such a betrayal of what the character has been when I thought that like Arn Anderson was one of the best part of the shows earlier this month. Like I thought that his role was tremendous and great, but with like this show, you know what happened there? Like you've lose the main conceit of Arn being like the cool experienced like veteran guy who has his mentee and Cody that he's going to keep out of harm's way that he's not going to let like Arn's things get into his head and he's going to be able to direct Cody the right way. And then you have like this, like what the fuck was going on there with Arn? He was frustrated about Penelope Ford's shoe. Like how many times has Arn Anderson probably come across someone using a shoe as a weapon in wrestling? If he's going to be a head coach character, seriously, it just was ridiculous. And I think that, it was a betrayal of the character they're trying to portray of Arn Anderson. And it really was like one of the things is like, then why is Arn out there at the ring as a manager? If he's going to be getting like in, in Cody's way when he's supposed to be someone who is there entirely to direct Cody and to kind of be like his coach, like what was going on with that? Like, I thought that was terrible. Yeah. I mean, I think they, they obviously had an idea or an intent with what they did with him in this match. I don't understand it. I don't, I really think the Arn Anderson coach thing in general is goofy. Like having the playbook is like, um, shit. Remember money Inc. And they had like a young Terry Runnels had like the lap, the tablet, the early tablet. This might've been like WCW. Is that money Inc.? No, that was the other one. Alexandra York, York foundation, the York foundation. Yes. And it was like, Oh, she's using her analytics to like analyze the match. And she had like a tablet and this was like the early nineties. And it was very cartoony. That's what Arn Anderson being out there reminds me of. He's it's like it's like Andy Reid, but he's like on the sidelines with his wrestling playbook, and it just strikes me as very uh, phony and goofy. Because I don't know, they have probably because they've done a pretty poor job of adhering to the sports, the sportsiness of the whole thing. Like they've you know uh, leaned pretty hard on the more fantastical or goofy parts of the promotion, and that makes the the sportsy stuff like stick out like a sore thumb. Um, so th that part is weirder to me than what they did with him here when they, 
you know, they obviously intended to do something with them. I'm not really sure, but you know, Cody went over anyway. So I guess I don't understand why Cody needs a coach. Yeah. Yeah. Unfortunately, I completely agree with Nate. Uh, I've always thought this sucked. I love Arn Anderson. Anyone who was with me at all out can confirm how I feel about Arn Anderson. He's one of my favorite wrestlers of all time. I think he's one of the best promos of all time. I just adore Arn Anderson, but right. What is the, what was the motivation for Cody to get this, this person? It wasn't like he lost the match with uh, Jericho because he really got in his head and got fucked up and like really needed help. It's not like he couldn't have beaten Darby Allen without Arn Anderson. You know, it's not like he couldn't have beaten Kip Sabian, obviously without Arn Anderson. It's just, that's kind of like, I mean, I, I didn't go into this part because I knew Mike wanted to talk about uh, this part, so I didn't want to step on his toes. But it's like, that's kind of the confusion of the character to me is he wants to do this sports thing so bad, but he's abandoned the whole sports uh, goal of, of championship. So it's like he's trying to do too much. And so it all kind of comes out fucked up in the wash. Yeah, I guess Cody just really loves seconds. Like he's always, he <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. was always his second. And now she was doing the nightmare collective thing so he couldn't do that and he couldn't use mjf because mjf uh you know of course turned on him so i guess he just feels naked if he doesn't have a second out there uh you know and you know it stands to reason he likes to do these sort of overbooked dusty sort of matches so that makes sense that he has another person out there to play off of but yeah i don't don't super understand it from a character's perspective yeah i mean frankly cody needs shortcuts in madness Mm. and i have gone on and on about how much I've loved Cody matches, but it's because he smartly kind of works those in. So I right. think he, he understands his limitations as a wrestler. So I'm sure that's part of it, but I don't think this is the most well thought out second that he's had. That might, that might really be is they just thought, Oh, well, this will be fun. You know, the, the fans have sort of been getting on Bryce when Bryce does a poor job enforcing rules or whatever. Uh, so they told a story in this match of Bryce continually talking to Aaron when Penelope was cheating and just sort of being a, incompetent ref in that way and you know i'm I'm sure they imagined it as arn getting in the ring confronting the ref and doing a belly bump like he's a you know wrestling or not a wrestling a uh, baseball manager or something we'll get a huge pop and the fans will go wild for that shit like i can imagine that just being the conceit and they didn't think of it uh, any deeper than that i don't know i think that the whole justification for like he him being a second i think you're right like it's something that that he likes to weave into his matches and it works for his benefits. But I feel like the thing that made Arn Anderson kind of special, and I was a very big proponent of this, it was that he would, in a lot of ways, was playing a different kind of second. And it was one that, at least in the logic of the matches, made a lot of sense. And he was portraying it in a way that you didn't necessarily see a second portray. And it was something that did seem very relevant and having the idea of the coach, I guess still kind of is a little bit of the sports feel and the same way of, Oh, MJF spurn him in something that like he now knows that Wardlow is going to be around at all the things. So he's going to need to have someone that's going to like pull back on his collar when he's trying to rush into fights. So I think there's total justification for Arn given who Cody is as a character and as performer. It's just having it like being portrayed in such a way over the first month and then having it just like this, that's my main thing about thinking it's such a betrayal to the character because unless you were doing the Andy Reid, like the baseball manager, like he was trying to be like Tommy Lasorda, like bouncing like stomachs with like the umpiring getting tossed out there. Then like, then why is he being the one that's 
trying to be the cool, calm, and collected person for Tony's benefit. Or not Tony's benefit, uh, Cody's benefit. <laughs> I did think of the last great babyface manager. It is, of course, when Ricardo Rodriguez split with Alberto Del Rio and then managed Rob Van Dam. Mm. You can't argue with that. <laughs> no. Super, went to super compelling pairing. Had some great segments together. Tore it up on the microphone. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, no, that's true. Like, yeah, he wore, like, the really bad paint, spray paint T-shirts with him over the tuxedo. Remember yeah. that? Yeah. That was a money act. <laughs> All right, well. We've gone long on E-Leader Delete, so let's talk ratings. Not much happened ratings this week. AEW, 828,000, third in the demo, 0.34. Down in total viewers, but it looks like it was just a down night on television generally because they were third in the demo. NXT, 712,000, 37th in the demo, 0.22. So both parties, I would say, stayed pretty pretty much where they were last week, except that AEW shot up in their share of the demo yeah the big thing here was this is the first week that nxt did not have the overrun so we could see kind of how much of the effect the overrun really gave them and it looks like it was fifty-seven thousand down 0.02 down 7.5 percent drop on total viewership but they get so many older viewers it wasn't affecting them in the demo so much but yeah i think that this was just a week night the, the only thing that really beat them was NBA games, and they beat the early one. So it's kind of weaker night. Like, I was looking at networks, always go to network if I think the ratings look a little weird, and not a whole lot going on network. There was a whole lot of Prince Harry and Meghan Markle stuff, which was kind of surprising, which kind of tells you how not dialed I am, and I am on the network. But yeah, kind of just like a eh, night for like a eh, show. I was a little surprised uh, with the NBA stuff, because I would think that with Kobe Bryant's death, some of these national games will be getting more uh, more of a viewership, but it looks like just not many people were watching TV on Wednesday night. So, okay, week sixteen of Dynamite. It opens up as as Nate talks about a little bit earlier with John Moxley entering through the crowd. He's really milking it here. You know, they were they really were willing to spend quite a bit of time on this uh, segment of the show. He confirms, of course, that they're going to have a title match, which says that the fun and games are over. But I like this stuff. He's talking about he's recounting all the bad stuff Jericho's done, and he says he's not perfect but he lives by a code. So we, I don't know, Nate, I just, I like the simplicity of the story. I really do. But he says, uh, you know, Jericho's a coward, a bully, he hates bullies. He's going to take the world title from him because it's not about the kind of man you are. It's the kind of man you're not. And he calls out Jericho and, and by God, Jericho's music plays and he comes out. We get the, uh, the crowd sing along of Judas. You can really hear it this time. This will be the first playing of Judas on this night. Jericho tells him he deserved the spike because he was supposed to say yes. I thought he said, I saw your wife backstage. Spike says it was his mom. Nate, you're going to have to cast the deciding vote. Mom. Okay. Saw his mom backstage. And, you know, he basically does some hitting on his mom thing, which is funny since Jericho's older. Kind of works, really. Uh, and then, you know, he gets up, mocks the crowd. You want to see me fight Moxley tonight? Go to hell. You don't deserve it. And then out comes Inner Circle. And basically, they just tease, you know, is it going to be five on one? And they're like, no, actually, we brought five other random guys that I didn't recognize. And so now it was 10 on one. Mox does his thing that that Nate mentioned where he says, you know, he's from Ohio, gets the cheap pop. And he says, I've got the whole crowd behind me. So, OK, goes into it. They kind of brawl a little bit. Mox escapes with some help from the, the mulleted guy from Atlas Security and uh, leaves back through the crowd. 
yeah, just don't get doing this whole extra effort to have random uh, street toughs from Queens or the Bronx. It might be the Bronx. Come out and then just the not Bronx. have it. Didn't contribute to anything. It's just like, oh, no, we have even more guys. But the number of guys we have is actually irrelevant by the end of this segment. It's like, oh, you're yeah. I guess I guess maybe they're trying to get over the characterization of Moxley that it's like, oh, he's stupid enough to to even go one on, or he's foolhardy or brave enough or tough enough to go one on ten. Maybe that's the idea, but you know, not really a meaningful difference from one on five and just the little you know non non brawl that happened didn't really deliver for me. Would have been much more entertaining if he's like, I'm from Ohio, I have friends from Ohio, and then DJ Hyde came out and a bunch of like CZW guys came out, <laughs> even the odds, just like the real you know, uh, uh, bottom layer of the Philadelphia. Uh, I don't know why I said, uh, Ohio or see, fuck who's from Ohio. The Ohio is for killer guys. Oh, I really got that. The Chris would show up. Sammy Callahan. That's yeah. what we could have seen. We should have seen Sammy Callahan out here oh. doing a thumbs up, thumbs down. Oh no. Uh, I, 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 I kind of split a difference with y'all. I thought that this was good, kind of like displaying Mox's motivations, but then like him like diving in there, just kind of being a little bit like a little bit too much like Dean Ambrose a little bit, like just being like he's crazy as a fox kind of thing. I did think I've, I'm not certain about this, but I think one of the people that was with uh, the inner circle was uh, former Chikara and current AIW great Cheech. I think it was Cheech Hernandez was one of the guys there, so... It looked like they were making a call out to John Thorne there. But yeah, I, I was a little disappointed that we didn't get the eternal battle between your and OHIO because I felt like that there's a lot of things that could be done about Bronx versus Ohio. And we did not get that last night. I kind of, so I love the motivations. I like the, the story that they're telling there, but I do think the brawl thing comes off dumb. Like either they should beat the shit out of him and you can use that to kind of, you can get obviously good heat with the crowd and you kind of build off of that. Or this is where he where he introduces like some buddies that he has. Like Nate said, you got to do one of those two things, I think. And instead, just having him go in there and then the mullet guy helps him uh, get out of there is, is really not that interesting. And it doesn't, doesn't push the story forward in any way. Then we saw an MJF vignette. He was meeting the Butcher and the Blade at a butcher shop which was a perfect place for the Butcher and the Blade to be. Made a lot of sense. Uh, this was well done. And we see MJF hand the bunny an envelope. It looks like it's stuffed pretty full, folks. And it says Young Bucks on the front of it. I liked this. Hell yeah. I, I, I like anything that gives us more lore to the motherfucking Butcher, the motherfucking Blade, and the motherfucking bunny. Like, does, does the bunny work the till? Because it looked like the Butcher is the one who's really uh, doing the meat carving. And I Being guess the, the Butcher? Yeah, he's been the butcher, and I. Th then what exactly is the blade doing at this butcher shop? I have questions about where this is. Like, is this some random butcher shop up in like upstate New York that he drove all the way up there? Why didn't he get some chops on his way there? He maintains the cutlery. There we go. Oh, perfect. Yeah, there we go. Now we know what's happening at the uh, Andy Williams butcher shop. Boom. I do think, like, I did like this, but on the other hand, it's like we really are far afield from what this promotion supposed to be <laughs> well it's just i think they had a, a wake-up call of like oh it's very hard to tell pro wrestling stories on cable television without like some sort of segments away from the ring you know it, it's nice to think about oh it's all going to be sports but you know again it can't be new japan pro wrestling on american cable television uh, live on a weekly basis it just 
the uh, the American audience is not suited for that. And I don't think the medium or the format is suited to that. So I think they just had a wake up call like, oh, we need some way to quickly do these characterization things or tell these little stories about our characters. Uh, and it's going to require that we have, you know, cameras elsewhere at times. Um, I'm not going to comment on all of them, but I thought just in general, this show had a pretty good balance and pace in terms of in-ring action and then like the vignettes or the, you know, the other sort of character stuff on the show. And hey, New Japan had all that stupid shit about the Switchblade leading up to it. So let's not act like that. New Japan is just match, match, match. Like there's like they got their goofy shit, too. But yeah, I pretty much co-signed what Nate said there. Well, it's also like this was either going to happen backstage in a dumb like, oh, we met up backstage and I gave you some money or it can happen in like a really slick produced video the way they did it. So I much prefer if this is the rover going down, I much prefer it this way. Next up was Butcher and the Blade coming out uh, to MJF's music with MJF and Wardlow. MJF goes to commentary and then we get the Young Bucks defeating the Butcher and the Blade. Nick Jackson pinned the Blade after the Meltzer driver. I think we've talked about this, this match at length. Uh, the post-match, of course, the Butcher attacks the Bucks. Kenny Omega comes out, hits the Butcher with a V-trigger, and then Hangman walks down slowly, uh, but you know, somewhat purposefully, in jeans and a tucked-in shirt with his belt buckle. He asks Matt to hold his beer and then hits the buckshot lariat on Blade and then walks right the fuck back out. Again, just another great characterization thing that he walked down with no real hurry. He's like, oh, you know, I'll get there when I get there. This real... Great badass baby face stuff. Yeah, this, I mean, he's a big star. We next get, so JR tells us we're about to hear some big news. And it was just like the same promo for for uh, Revolution that we've seen. But there was big news in it that JR no-sold. Theme song for Revolution is a song called Revelation. Why? Zardonic featuring Mikey Ruckus. Revelation. I hate one of that. our uh, one of our cherished followers, Mikey Ruckus, of course. Mikey, buddy, you got to tell him that if the show's called Revolution, the song can't be called Revelation. That doesn't make any sense. It's too close. I don't mind it. It's fine. Yeah, I thought that was kind of funny. I didn't even notice that until I saw the notes. I was like, oh, okay, there we go. The, the, well, Jr. was like, we got big news, folks. I was like, all right, I really got to <laughs> zoom in on this. I got to see what's happening. And the only thing I could take away from it was the name of this fucking song. Hey, it's like the first time that they've had one of these that's not a Fozzie song. So that is big news. True. Would have preferred I mean, a Fozzie. It was by their in-house music guy, though. <laughs> yeah. well, I don't know who Zardonic is. Sounds cool. Um, yeah, some collaborator of Mikey Ruckus's, I assume. I shouldn't say that I would have preferred a Fozzie song because I didn't actually zoom in with my ears on the music. I need to go back and hear the song and, and have a real strong take on Revelation by Zardonic. Next up, Nyla Rose defeated Big Swole. I call this the Native Bomb, but then they refer to it as the Beast Bomb on the show, but I'm pretty sure it's called the Native Bomb. They, they fluctuated on that name, I feel like. Okay, all right. Uh, my big take on this match is it was not good, and I maybe you just don't want Nyla to be the most experienced person in there. If you I, can avoid it. I like this one. I, what? I, I thought Swole was very good at like playing this. I think Swole's great. I think she's the most underrated person on the roster. And I Did thought, you like, see those strikes? Yeah, but have you seen the strikes in most of the matches? Like the whole like people like taking 50% off it? Like I think Swole played her role as like the, under, the underdog well that like she got beat up and she wasn't able to hit as strong as she normally could. 
No, but, this is from the beginning of the match, Mike. Don't you play this game with me. I thought that that show was fine. These strikes were so bad. I thought it was better than Arisa versus Tommy. It was fine. Okay, I can't disagree with that take. I thought this match was fine. I liked it. It was no, good. it sucked. It was bad. It was bad. But then again, you hate Arisa, so I don't even know why we're having this conversation. She wasn't in this match. This match <laughs> sucked, is what I'm saying. And I like Nyla Rose, and I like Big Swole, but this was not good. It was fine. It's all if, if you get the crowd invested by the end of it, then you succeeded. And that's all that really matters. And uh, again, I think Micah made a great point that Big Swole seems to do that more often than not, even despite the odds that she might be up against, even despite the odds that she might be throwing some weak-looking strikes, still gets the crowd by the end of it. And in that regard, it's, it's a success. Well, as a man who came on this show and said that the AEW women's roster was better than the NXT women's roster, I need some of these people to back me up. I need Big Soul <laughs> to back me up, and she's, she's dropping the ball on me. This is the danger of making these grand proclamations, Aaron. Now, most people forget the bad ones, and... Uh... Oatgan, friend of the show, Oatgan, will bring up the good ones. So that's really all that matters. So friend of the show, uh, Shane Blepp, shouting out some of our good-ass old predictions back in the day. Who knew that we made those predictions? I did. (laughs) I'm just really smart, and even though I can't say words good, uh, sometimes I say something very brilliant, and and good friends remind us that I was actually pretty salient, had a salient point. Just like how Big Swole is great at doing – her role in this job in this match she did her job well in this i i mean i don't know what your problem is i mean you're the big oh aw was women's wrestlers better than xc wrestlers now you're just slagging on okay this i never said that you're you're doing the jdm guy thing to me which is say things i didn't say what i said was that the roster was better i stand by it all right cody defeated kip sabian three crossroads god knows we've talked about this enough so that was it that was the match. Three crossroads is fun. Yes, that was fun. I liked that. It's a fun move. I like the move generally. I was trying to keep it keep it quick, but you just had Sorry. to keep that's my <laughs> I just I can't stop myself sometimes. <laughs> we got a recap of Brit's promo from last week. I forgot I didn't take this note out when I posted this for the inner circle subscribers. Uh Brit comes out and she is done up, folks. Looking good. She's she's mad JR cut her off. She shoots on JR for being a boomer and sucking at being an announcer, which fair. So this is her division. She points out that she's on the promo materials and she's in the building every week, unlike Riho. Interesting because Riho was there, but they didn't use her at all on this or on Dark. And she said, Cleveland, you finally have a baker you can trust in. And that uh, got over pretty good. That's a football thing? Yeah, Baker Mayfield, quarterback of the Browns. The Browns. Yeah, the Browns. We got Lexi Nair, and she's with the Bucks and Kenny. Uh, the Bucks are saying they want to climb the ranks, maybe get a shot at the titles. Kenny's really like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. keep working, blah, blah, blah. Heyman comes in with the title. He says they got their nameplates for the titles. And then he, I guess he says they got nameplates for everybody just in case they win the titles. And he hands the Bucks theirs. And, uh, you know, just continue the awkwardness between the Bucks and, and Hangman. He leaves. Kenny says he was actually late for the Butcher and the Blade beatdown because he was working on an eight-man match for next week. This is, you know, pretty fun, at, Nate would say, lamp- lampshading. And he tells us then that it's going to be the Bucks, Omega, and Hangman Page versus the Butcher and the Blade and a team of their choosing. You only internalized that lampshading term like recently, I feel like. I feel like just in the last couple of shows, you've uh, 
honed in on that one. Um, I, my only fear about the hangman stardom push is that he's kind of looking too cool and the elite starting to look kind of like sticks in the mud, like Kenny's out there in a polo shirt. Um, and you know, uh, you know, wrestling fans love them, some rowdy beer drinking and stuff. And Kenny's like, Nope, I don't drink. And I just want to compete. And hangman's like, I drink and I still fucking beat everybody up and look cool as fuck while doing it. And I think it's going to, people are going to side with hangman over Kenny when the feud comes. It doesn't help that Kenny was wearing some Bonobo ass clothes, like business casual, <laughs> like Friday apparel. Like, well, like when have you ever seen like Kenny Omega be someone to show up in like a nice pair of chinos and a salmon polo shirt? Like that's just, Buddy, he was trying to get this match signed. He was doing business. I mean, he's done business for the last 20 weeks without needing this shit. <laughs> like, I don't know. Maybe, maybe now he's on Island time. Maybe he's now like really into like the, uh, Tommy Bahama wear and he's going to like show up like being like a big parrot head and that's going to be his new thing. Uh, see, first of all, it's not a bad thing if Hangman comes out the bigger star than Kenny Omega in the feud. But secondly, I just, I categorically reject that the point is that Adam Page is supposed to be the heel at all in this story. Okay. I think I, I, I've, I've done the take. Ogan and I were talking about this. He's Sting. Talking to Ogan a lot lately. I love the Ogan. He's Sting. This is the Lex Luger, Sting, uh, Hulk Hogan, Macho Man storyline from, from the early days of Nitro. And Adam Page is, is Sting here. And he's going to uh, be in the rafters soon. And he's going to be hitting people with a bat. It's going to be great. Here's the real question. So, uh, a, a friend posed this to me. Is the Adam Page storyline... Didn't name the friend this time. He kept the friend secret this time. Uh, the friend's name is Rob. Okay. Big shouts to Rob. Hi, Rob. Rob's a math teacher. Shouts to Rob. Here's the Rob thing. How close to the line... I hadn't thought of this yet. How close to the line are they from this storyline becoming inappropriate slash offensive with like alcoholic hangman page not close yeah there's a definite line and unless he's going to be doing some drunk driving and he's just like they just have him as someone who comes to the show and drinks and they keep it like that and he's not like being but like you like there's been generations of doing like playful drunk characters that's in canon that you're able to do without it becoming problematic i feel yeah there's no the 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 American attitude toward drinking does not have a sensitivity toward that. I don't think. And it's not like Scott Hall where we know him to be an alcoholic. It's not like Jake, the snake where we know him to be an alcoholic or a former alcoholic. Like it's just a character. It's just a television character. So I don't think it approaches that line. Rob says he, he doesn't think at this point that it's gotten there. He's just, it makes him uncomfortable and he's worried that it's going to get there. So I just wanted to see what your all's thoughts were. I, I've said, I think, on this show that it's just symbolic of a diseased culture, but I don't know that it's inappropriate. All right. Yeah, I mean, I'm not, I'm not going to disagree that the attitude toward binge drinking is, uh, you know, uh, it, it, it's a failed society, basically, that we're working in here. But yeah, you know, we can't, we can't, we can't remove the wrestling from that context. Sad to say. SCU defeated the hybrid two Scorpio Sky pinned on Helico after SCU later. 
I got really irritated during this match because they mentioned that SCU had a rematch clause. They're going to get a rematch against Omega and Page. And in the post-match, Dark Order comes on the Tron. Evil Uno says, the Exalted One is unhappy with you, Christopher Daniels. And so he's told us to attack people close to you. Yeah. <laughs> Real nothing match here. I like the Laparka gear that the uh, Hybrid 2 had on. I thought that was pretty nice. I, But like other than that, I mean, it was there. Like that's this is why I'm saying this is kind of like a sleepy show because this match was super duper sleepy. Like someone asked me, hey, Mike, what should I watch from the show? And I was like, really? The first half hour and the last half hour. But like this match was there. It was exactly whatever. If you have not watched this match and you are listening to this podcast before you're watching first, Thanks for putting, making us more important than AEW TV. We don't care about the plus threes around here, only live viewing. But it's just there. Like, this match happened. And yeah, the whole like rematch clause thing stinks. Okay, so how come you don't have a complaint, Aaron, that the hybrid two are just job guys and you know they're not uh, established and featured the same way you complain about the butcher and the blade? Like, they're just underneath X. Well, Angelico sucks, and so everybody knows that, and there was no way for them to become stars. Now, Angelico's weird dance is like better than most of the Butcher and the Blade act. Oh, if, you, no. if, you took out, so if you took out the monocle and you took out the bunny, then Angelico's weird dance would be better than the rest of the act. Strong disagree. Strong disagree on that. And their matches are better. Uh, uh, no, that's false. That's false. You got, you got Jack Evans in there? Give me a break. Hey, I didn't say anything negative about Jack Evans. I love Jack Evans. They did have to pull him down from the turnbuckle as he was just screaming at fans before the match yes. started. It's better than anything the Butcher and the Blade has done. So no, no, Jack Evans is good. I love Jack Evans. What a I legend, mean, Jack Evans. What a legend just doing crowd work when he didn't need to be doing crowd work. Yeah. <laughs> the guy loves to scream without a mic. He just adores it. I think SCU should be the job, guys. That's my real take. I'm not going to argue with that either. I'd put the hybrid two over both of those acts. SCU, I really like every week Excalibur is like, these guys have been wrestling for 8,000 fucking years and still you've never heard of them. And I think that's like a bad way to sell this team or any wrestler in this promotion because a casual fan that drops in is going to be like, wow, why did these guys never make it to somewhere I've seen before? Yeah, I don't know. I think that's overthinking maybe. You know, I think I think people respect when people have put in their time. Yeah, but that's not a, to be that's like a it's like a stupid old um like cornet thing, like, oh, they paid their dues, they were out there doing the roads for fifteen years, and you know, the people that that would appeal to are like, Oh yeah, I love these guys. They're old and shit. I can I, see that. It's just like if and then you make those people your champions, I just think it seems seems weird. Luckily they're not anymore, but just that was a, just a bad choice, I think. They're just like they're grandfathered in from the elite getting over in the first place, I think, and being on the show and shit. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, whatever. I mean, at the same time, like uh, Kazarian and Daniels have been seen on TV with a larger viewership than AEW currently. So, like, they have, yes, been like 15 years, but like they were before Impact went off of Spike TV, they were a part of that. But now with the, with the plus threes, maybe not. It might be getting more eyeballs with the plus threes and plus sevens. You know my opinion about the plus threes. You know my opinion about the plus sevens. Hey, TNT respects the plus threes. I mean, they, they, they can make up whatever rubric they can, but that's not what other people care about. 
Hey, there was a pack vignette. I care about that. It ruled. He says he's going to pluck out Moxley's eye, his other eye, after the Jericho feud. Then he says, Kenny, I guess you finally heard me. When did Kenny hear him? This story has just been insane to me. It's just driven me crazy from week to week. He says, oh, you're going to fit me in when it's convenient. No, we're going to do it on my timetable starting next week, and I'm coming for blood. And, of course, that means this will not be mentioned next week at all. Well, they, Kenny has said in an interview, or like what I think it was Jen Decker on the cruise boat, she said, like, oh, what about Pac? Pac's always been like, you're your champion, and you said the deal with Pac's like, I, Pac will have his rubber match. Like, like, he, like Kenny has mentioned that. So Yeah, pay attention to the product, Aaron. It was in there. Jen Decker. I refuse to pay attention to the product, and I'm a little embarrassed you would ask me that. <laughs> was it, I, an, it wasn't a question. It was a demand. But, like, the idea of, I think it was the uh, Beyond Gorilla person doing this video was really cool for Pac, and it just, like, had different vibe than everything else. I know some people are going to say, like, oh, now he's being a spooky pervert. No, Pac is just, like, a miserable person, so he sees life through just grayscale, and I thought that was pretty cool. Yeah, this was... I said I wasn't going to comment on all these vignettes, but we're commenting on all of them. So this was the best one on the show. I just like that you could see his breath. So he was just out in his gear in the fucking freezing cold. What a guy. All right. Main event, Darby and Private Party taking on Jericho, Chris Jericho and Santana and Ortiz. Chris Jericho pinned Isaiah Cassidy after the Judas effect and folks. Coming to the ring, we were having a two-Judas night, but when it was over, we got a three-Judas night. After the match, Inner Circle attacked everyone. They were really attacking Darby, a little skateboard to the throat. But Mox comes out for the save. Why? Because he hates bullies, folks. He didn't hate the Dark Order when they were being bullies. Lots of other people have been bullies in this promotion, and he hasn't. And he hasn't come out for the save. The skateboard shot to the neck looked really gruesome. That was a heck of a spot. Yeah, Darby ruled, and this this match was fun too. Like this was a we didn't really get a chance to talk about this match much, but this was a great main event trios match. Like Jericho and Satan Ortiz are great as a trio. Darby being the hot tag in this match owned as well. Like this was like a great end, and of course Darby has like a war against his body, so he wants to take a, a skateboard to the neck. And this was just like it was really cool, and maybe we could see like Mox and Darby now going up against people. And maybe we'll get Darby versus Sammy Guevara. Like this was a really strong ending of the episode. What yeah, Darby got a little measure of revenge on Jake Hager from interfering in the Jericho title match, which they put on the Chiron. So I thought that was a, you know, fine little addition there. I think Jake Hager's first match in the company should be against Darby. And that should be when Darby starts racking his wins up. What I know is that the losses haven't hurt Darby because he was a star in this match, everything he did, the crowd went nuts. He's so good that Jim Ross has to acknowledge how much the crowd loves him. Basically, every time he appears on screen, you just you love it. Darby feels like, you know, our, our little boy has uh, become a man. Okay, everyone wants to leave that creepy comment? Just uh, let it hang there. <laughs> on your own petard. <laughs> All right, here's what they shot for Dark for next week. Uh, Jungle Boy and Marco Stunt took on Sonny Kiss and Brandon Cutler. Hikaru Shida wrestled Mel of the Nightmare Collective. A little angle after that match. And Sean Spears and Colin Delaney took on the best friends. Real Chikara and AIW hours. Getting Colin Delaney up there. So, yeah, no, that that's going to be interesting, you know? I know that former guest and 
close personal friend of the show, Murder Brian, was at the show, and he was kind of relaying stuff back or back and forth. It's going to be an interesting episode of Dark, though. Yeah, I guess we're going to learn why they didn't do anything with Nightmare Collective this week, even though they played that Brandy thing uh, on every digital thing that they have. Next week, February 5th, from Huntsville, Alabama, or from the Huntsville, Alabama, as I've written on the notes, Cody is going to take 10 lashes from MJF. John Moxley is going to take on Ortiz. I like this. They're really, everybody's coming around on Ortiz. Everybody's loving the Ortiz. Britt Baker, oh gosh, this is exciting. Britt Baker taking on the returning Yuka Sakazaki. Do the do the song, Nate. Can't do it now. <laughs> it's a no from me. <laughs> yeah. I do, they really they like fully got those rights or whatever. They were playing that thing. They played a promo package for Yuka. I think it might have been during the ad break, but it was the same one that was on their Twitter. They got the song on lock, and they know that it's you know a, a key element of the character here and they understand yuka like the video is perfect it's got the little idol scenes in the middle you know to the yeah it's like they're like aliens like aliens with uh light sticks oh i, I didn't catch but that they look, they look like vaguely alien shape maybe that was just a, a cheat on the 3d modeling or whatever just like yeah do some heads and bodies or whatever but yeah it was good i'm sorry she has to work Britt baker but if anybody can can turn this into something good it's going to be the magical girl the resurgent Britt Baker, huge heel, megastar. This is a great spot for Yuka to get some shine. Britt's going to see what a real star's uh, response sounds like when Yuka Sakazaki comes out. All right, we'll get the we'll get the buzzometer out and see what happens. <laughs> if the, I hope the fans remember, they were crazy for her when she was here before. Young Bucks, Kenny and Hangman taking on Butcher and the Blade, and it turns out the team they have chosen to join them is the Lucha Brothers. Loving Atomicos. Love, love like a big match like this. I'm pretty, this is like the closest they've had to like a full quote unquote elite match. So I'm kind of stoked to see what will happen out of this. All right. A lot of, a lot of notes this week. Most of them coming from uh, Dave Meltzer's reporting in the Wrestling Observer newsletter. Edge, you might have heard, returned to WWE in the Royal Rumble. Uh, Dave reports that Edge told WWE, very interesting wording. That AEW offered him $3 million per year to wrestle a few matches and start when television started. So no clue about that, but he used it for leverage. So good job, Edge. Okay. Chris Jericho. No interest in Edge, really. It was, it was not around. It was like I didn't watch SmackDown when Edge was on top. I mean. Yeah. I was hey, a Christian guy. Uh, I, was a, I was an Edge guy, but like clearing him now with the injuries he had, like, I mean. Good for him that he's feeling better, and I mean, hopefully, like, good for him for using ledge leverage, but having an opinion about, like, maybe Edge being an AEW would have been, like, I, I know I've talked with Brian about this, like, needing, like, the big superstar pop to bring over, but $3 million for Edge, I mean, good for him. Good for him. Like, I think that's a great thing for him using his leverage, but I would have rather seen some of these other people that he mentioned. It's very cool that Daniel Bryan and Edge worked the WWE into clearing them, by claiming they were going to go wrestle somewhere else. Very funny. Okay, Chris Jericho tried to get Will Ospreay to take some AEW dates and do a program with him for the AEW title, but Ospreay turned it down, said he's 100% loyal to New Japan right now. Love the loyalty from Will. Would have been a lot of fun, though. I mean, I think they're just going to do it in New Japan instead. <laughs> I think <laughs> I think if, uh, if Jericho's listening... 
Will topped the, uh, you know, the fan voting in Japan for the most popular Gaijin wrestler. And Jericho was like a number 10. That should just be the basis for his feud. Like, I'm pissed off. I'm the best outside Gaijin wrestler. I'm the best white guy in this promotion. Top Gaijin. Yes, that's right. Top Gaijin can take that (laughs) straight from B. That's great. Oh, I like that. Instead of doing the, you know, pain maker persona and instead of just parodying evil or bushy or parodying will he should just parody b Priestley. that's tremendous and he then should bring in will. b with him have it well i don't know it's kind of oh and then will can bring in arisa uh, all right i'm out on this <laughs> <laughs> i'm out on b too fuck b b stuff wow wow this is jilted if you're listening b you suck <laughs> you suck you're not the top guy Jen. you're like you're like Fifth best guys. Uh, Start yeah. listening. The guys you think are better than B now. Jamie Hader. <laughs> Rebel Kell. <laughs> well, yeah, Rebel Kell is the true top guy, and I'm not going to debate that. Dust. Yeah. Oh, I got to come up with one more. Lay- Layla Hirsch. Layla Hirsch. That's four. You're below all those. <laughs> to do my B. joke explainer gimmick, Aaron is upset that B turned on Momo. Yeah. <laughs> you suck, B. Priestley, with your fucking dollar store Harley Quinn gimmick. Ooh, <laughs> you suck. Read a book, B. <laughs> Get a real character. Well, okay, so that's motivated by because she took her character from a movie, so you think uh, you should read a book instead? Yeah, a okay. real book, not a comic book. A real book with words. <sighs> B Priestley like taking her inspiration from like great expectations or something. <laughs> yeah. That's the first book I thought of. Yeah. Maybe you should read some books, Nate. Um, I'll pass. <laughs> I read posts. <laughs> if you read enough posts, it's like a book. Luke Harper gonna be an AEW, gonna debut March 18th in Rochester, New York, as everyone assumed it's his hometown. He's gonna be called Brody Lee. That's it. The big rig is back. Should be exciting. I'm excited about it. Brian Cage was apparently going to come into AEW, as we talked about on this show before, but he suffered a torn biceps before Impact's hard-to-kill pay-per-view, and he had surgery on January 27. Dave, you just never know with Dave's speculation, but he says that usually means about seven or eight months out. So we'll see. Uh, Brian Cage is hinting on, on Twitter that he's coming in because somebody posted a thing about Brian Cage versus Kenny Omega, and he said maybe you'll see it soon or something like that. It's a good match. There's some talk about Brian Cage versus Kenny Omega on my show with Wicked Face Rings Eternal. Hmm. Hmm. Something to think about. Dave kind of confirmed the Lance Archer AEW talks. I mean, that's really it. He doesn't think it's done, but he thinks uh, that they've progressed in talks and it might be real. So I still don't know that I buy this. Yeah, it, it's one of those things that for he, like Lance Archer, and this is kind of publicly known, he did a lot of the work for the G1 show in Dallas. Like he was the one who was at every indie show that he would go to in the Texas area. He had tickets there. He hosted a bunch of stuff for the wrestlers that came in town. Enough so that, funny enough, uh, Strong Hearts was at the same thing with everyone else, which was kind of funny seeing El Lindemann next to him. That That's that's great. But it just seems like he's someone that 
given like his tenure with New Japan, unless it's something that like he just doesn't want to do the travel and he likes the idea of working five days a month, then then yeah. But like I don't know. It's just we'll see. Like I think this could also be another leverage thing. So who knows? All right. In uh, some the pay per view news that we talked about at the at the top, ITV has dropped its entire pay per view division. So that has usually brought them. This is a the UK pay per view provider. Usually brought them fifteen to twenty thousand buys before. So they could be looking. It's still going to be available on Fight, but they still could be looking at a uh, precipitous drop. I mean, they, they're doing like a hundred thousand buys. So if you lose fifteen to twenty, that's a lot of your business. Yeah, this is bad. I mean, getting completely out of the pay-per-view game seems like that there wasn't... I don't know necessarily what ITV does in in Britain and Ireland, the United Kingdom. So, But yeah, I mean, this is a big drop for them. Uh, I know that fight would be like the obvious thing. Yeah, I guess they would just open it up for that. But you know, I mean, this is kind of the state of the entertainment business. We didn't really talk about this before, but... Uh... They tickets went on sale for their March 25th show in Newark and they sold 10,000 tickets. That's a shitload of tickets. I mean, they haven't sold, had that kind of day of selling tickets since like the DC show, the first show. Big market. Yeah. Huge market. Uh, Dave, I don't know why, but he suggests that this means they would instantly sell out Madison Square Garden. Well, I think they would instantly sell out Madison Square Garden. <laughs> he had a lot of uh, thoughts about people, other people running Madison Square Garden this issue. Yeah, so apparently they've been trying to get dates. Madison Square Garden had a date in November, but I guess Madison Square Garden is not excited about booking wrestling right now. WWE ruined it. Well, yeah, AAA ruined it because they well, yeah. booked the garden and then didn't sell any tickets and had to you know go to the Hulu Theater or whatever. Yeah, so they they were they're apparently concerned with WWE's ticket sales, and then of course the the AAA show. Uh, but so now they're kind of just staying away from from wrestling. It seems like uh, we did see, of course, that New Japan didn't announce any major U.S. shows when they did their dome announcement, and nobody really knows if also playing into this is WWE trying to lock people out and being more successful at locking people out. But apparently. They're having a hard time getting into Madison Square Garden, and uh, maybe they would sell it out. Hard to say. It's something that I have heard of a promotion that might have a date on the garden. Like, that's not AEW. But, yeah, no, like, the whole AAA thing was a complete fiasco. Like, I think they said that the most they sold was were, like, 2,000 tickets for the garden, and that was kind of a disaster. And then they ran it so much after... The uh, the New Japan Ring of Honor show that people just stopped going to it, but uh, the the Garden's a weird place. Like, there's different politics there than any other arenas. But I do know that not to impugn Dave, but there's some other reporting that's contrary to wrestling being blocked at the Garden. Well, don't tease us, Mike. What's the reporting? Oh, oh he was he was. Teasing it, he was—he's got a scoop, but he's not saying it. Andrew. Yeah, that was what oh. he was doing. Well, when he said reporting, I thought that meant it was public. So I was no, no, confused. No, that, that there's other places that we'll talk about it. As since I don't, since since I since I heard of it second or third hand, I feel like being responsible to talk about it. So, well, let's see what happens here. I think it's New Japan. 
I think okay, I'm, I'm watching. I'm watching Mike. He's scratching his top lip. He's looking away from the camera. Uh, he's got his hand on his fist now. Okay, just no reaction whatsoever. So really, really no sold that. I think it's MLW. <laughs> Court hey, Bauer. James James Dolan's got enough stink in the garden. He doesn't need MLW in there. Court Bauer was just talking about some big news coming up. This could be it. Yeah, for the 3200 arena, not the fucking garden. <laughs> 2300. <laughs> no, this is worse. This is the 3200 arena. Further up Swanson Street <laughs> is the 3200 arena. <laughs> All right. Well, I was worried because we spent a lot of time on uh, Elite or Delete, but we really we zoomed through the rest. So Did we? <laughs> a long show, dude. Well, we're, we're still under an hour and a half. We're I'm approaching a minute tw- or an hour 26, according to my thing. You haven't done your goodbyes yet. But yeah, basically we talked about the entire, every segment on the show. Yes, we did. But we spent like half the show just on Elite or Delete. Sure. Usually try to keep out of 30 minutes, 30 minutes from the start of the show. And I try to get out of there. It's okay. just a little behind the curtain. Didn't know you had these uh, timelines, but that's good to know. I just try, but I failed miserably today. So that's pretty much it. Anything else you guys want to talk about before we get out of here? No, just good silence there for Mike to delete later, I guess. <laughs> All right. <laughs> All right. Well, I just want to say I really hope people will go listen to This is the Young Bucks. Yeah. Really it's happy strong, with it. Yeah, it's a strong episode. Case. I record with Case pretty much on a monthly basis. And he for for a man of his age, he knows his stuff. Like I know sometimes people like will like look down on someone because they're younger and into it. But no, Case is someone that I constantly will talk about I was like, oh yeah, no, I just went back and watched this random Young Bucks match or this Torimon match. So yeah, no case knows his stuff. And I thought it was a great episode. I really enjoyed editing it. I hope you guys will check it out. On Saturday, hit it up, drop five bucks, three bucks. Well, don't drop three bucks because you won't get the Young Bucks episode. Drop eight bucks and uh, check out everything we have on patreon.com slash everything elite. Make sure you follow us on Twitter at everything AEW. I'm at Aaron like the car. Nate is at Epitasis. Mike is at Fuji. Hey, uh, subscribe, rate, review, all that good stuff. And uh, do we have any new reviews, Nate? No. God damn it. Come on, guys. I'm going to, I'm going to, so you stop throwing to me and yeah. so I have to stop answering no. I'm going to like, you know, in the future, I'm going to be like, talk to me because okay. I got a review to share. Okay. Yeah. All right. We, we were Cause, doing because you keep setting us up to get owned there. I know. Well, there were a few times where you were like, "Oh, wait, wait, wait! I've got a review," and I and I had forgotten right. to throw it to you. So, all right, we got to we'll do better. I could just ask you before the show; that would be the easiest way to do it. But I didn't do that. Okay. Well, for Mike, for Nate, I'm Aaron. We'll see you next week. <laughs>